Ronaldo vai partir para a bola, Ronaldo, Ronaldo vai partir, paradinha, atirou, golo! Já está! Já está! Já está! Hello and welcome to Portugal podcast number 95. Today, just one item on the menu, it's the classical, the match of the season, the title decider. I am, of course, talking about Benfica against Porto, which will be played here in Lisbon on Sunday with a 5pm kickoff at the Stadio de Luz. Uh, to help me preview the game, I'm joined as ever by Portuguese coach, journalist and all-round football guru, Vasco Mota Pereira. Hi Vasco, estás bom amigo? <laughs> Hi Tom, Hi, Tom. I'm, I'm very well, thank you. And you? Yep, all good, thank you. Okay, so without further ado, let's have a look at Sunday's huge match. First of all, let me clarify the situation in terms of how it affects the standings in the Primera Liga. Uh, Benfica on top of course, they're currently three points ahead of second place Porto. After Sunday's match, four games will remain until the end of the season. And in Portugal, if the teams are level on points, it comes to head-to-head record. So, uh, Benfica won the first match in Porto 2-0. So, if the Eagles uh, will... So, they will stay ahead of Porto if they win. Of course, they'll have a six-point lead. If they draw, in which case they'll have a three-point lead. Or, even if they lose by a single goal... Uh, Porto, they will go top if they win by three clear goals or if they win by two goals but score more than two. For example, 3-1, 4-2, etc. And finally, if Porto win 2-0, that's the exact same score that Benfica won by at the Estadio de Dragão in the first match, uh, they'll have an identical head-to-head record, so it will come down to goal difference. And by my calculations, uh, I think Porto will be one goal better with four games left to play, like I said. So, I hope that hasn't been too confusing. Uh, Vasco, we all know that Benfica coach Jorge Jesus has done a great job at the club, but one criticism that has been levelled at him is his frequent failures in the big, decisive games. He tends to change things, mix things up a little bit, and uh, usually with not very good results. Uh, On Sunday, in the knowledge that a draw will be good enough to leave Benfica very well placed to be champions. This time, is a more cautious approach perhaps justified? If you were in Jorge Jesus' position, how would you approach the match? Uh, First of all, I think I can see the point that uh, uh, Jorge Jesus has has had his work cut out for him in some of the big matches, like you mentioned. Uh, Of course, I think that overlooks the 2-0 victory at the Dragão just... uh, uh, last year, a first in nine years for Benfica, uh, but still it was like like you mentioned the result of a of a very different approach in that in that particular match. Benfica were much more calculistic than usual and kept uh, FC Porto from creating too many opportunities, despite having the lion's share of possession. Uh, considering that Benfica will benefit from two results or maybe even three if they lose by a single goal. I think I would approach the match with a with a with a similar strategy to the one JJ employs on most matches. I would bet on a lightning quick match filled with transitions uh, f- from both sides, 
because on one hand, it's the, the game that best suits Benfica, uh, with all their forwards thriving in that context. And on the other hand, it would force uh, FC Porto to play a sort of game that they don't really appreciate and would make them run that much more, which um, following their efforts last Tuesday in Germany would be the last thing they needed Um I also think that a Benfica goal early on, which uh, is not exactly unlikely if Benfica played their normal game in well, in front of what certainly will be a raucous crowd, would send Shivers down most FC Porto players' spines. Yeah, they've had a they've actually had an amazing record at home this season, Benfica, even better mm-hmm. than usual. Uh, played 14, won 13, drawn one, uh, scored 40 goals uh, yeah. in those. In, and we've seen even recently, you know, games which were potentially tough games uh, against Braga. I'm remembering, you know, they just really swept aside the opposition quite easily. So, uh, so yeah, just just a, on a little side note, uh, how do you explain this such a the home advantage? It always uh, it always puzzles me a little bit. I mean, we saw Porto do a fantastic job against Bayern at home. Then they went to Bayern, got absolutely trounced. Uh, it's the same 11 players, basically. Yeah, uh, the same 22 almost. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, Benfica, like I said, they've got this amazing uh, record at home. They just seem to sweep past opponents without the, the, the slightest bit of trouble. But in the last few weeks, uh, really all their away matches, the last couple of months, they've, they've struggled and they've dropped points. They've even lost uh, lost at Rio Ave, uh, lost at Passos, of course, uh, uh, a couple of draws, I think, or one draw in that run. Uh, how do you explain such a such a big role that playing in your home stadium uh, has? Well, that's that's a, a very good question because it's something I've uh, struggled with for <laughs> for a couple of decades now. <laughs> um, I think it's I think that's it's uh, it's twofold. On on one hand, I think smaller teams uh, are usually consider themselves uh, already beaten when they play away, whether it's Porto at Bayern or Bolognese at Benfica, whichever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they go out to play, there's already some stage fright of, oh my God, this is this will be very difficult. Uh, and on the other hand, when they play home, they play in front of their own crowd, they, 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 they feel that it's been tested in several studies. For instance, testosterone levels are much higher when you play home than when you play away. Which ah, is unbelievable. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's and amazing. it's that, on one hand, is I think crucial. On the other hand, and I, I'm, I think I can be sure of what I'm about to say, it's the fact that you know every single corner of the stadium, of the pitch, of the dressing room, which leaves you in a sort of a comfort zone. And when you go out, everything's different because Porto, for instance, went to Bayern, and I don't know, the dressing room was. This way and that way, and it took, you don't know how long it takes to get through the tunnel, and then you go to Rewab and it's completely different. So there's always, the surroundings are always changing, and when you get home, and I think that's the reason why you call playing at home, because you know everything, you feel comfortable, you have your supporters behind you most of the time. Yeah. Um, and you know every little thing, you know the smells, and that makes you much more comfortable, yeah. much more willing to just press on and, and, and hit. The, your opponent. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry to hit you with that one. It wasn't in the script, Vasco. Just. To <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
popped up to me because uh, really that uh, you know it could be a decisive factor of course on Sunday let's wait and yeah. see uh, okay Vasco so as for Porto of course we can't analyse them in this match without looking at uh, the context uh, they come into the game on the back of that chastening 6-1 hammering at Bayern of course uh, coach Hulan Lopetegui he faces a huge task in picking up his players mentally uh, not to mention the physical toll that match must have taken on the players. So, uh, Vasco, what impact do you think that Tuesday's nightmare in Munich might have on the Porto players? Well, I think uh, I think this is one of the main differences in in the last FC Porto sides. I've been I've been following them for a few years now. The direct result of my aging uh, and <laughs> and under normal, uh, so to speak, circumstances up until a few seasons ago, uh, last Tuesday's result would have been the worst piece of news possible for any opponent since since FC Porto's siege mentality would almost single-handedly take care of it. I mean, the spirit of, of revolt, of injustice, of, of, of wanting to show the world that that particular match had just been a blip, uh, something that Mourinho expressed beautifully in a famous press conference with the someone will have to pay for this uh, expression after a significant defeat. Uh, in my view, Lopetegui had to have come uh, to the press conference just guns blazing. I mean, tapping on his players' pride in order to build some momentum. And not only that, and as supporters would have a a vocal captain that will be the first one to show up and encourage every player in the dressing room with a with a show of bravery and determination. So, all things considered, I think games like the one from last Tuesday can definitely have an impact because uh, they make players less confident about confident about the process, about uh, how they go about playing their game, about the possibility of the very real possibility of it happening once again, which is exactly where leadership comes in or, or should at least come in and, and like I said earlier an early Benfica goal would be quite unnerving for anyone donning blue and white mm-hmm. OK I've got another worry uh, in terms of Porto's players ahead of this match as well looking at their likely starting 11 uh, normal starting 11 it's certain that quite a lot of them who would be in that team won't be at the Dragao next season uh, for instance, Danilo, uh, of course, he's already been sold to Real Madrid. Jackson Martinez, uh, I think he's as good as gone, everybody knows. Oliver Torres, he's been recalled by Atletico Madrid. Of course, he's only on Porto at loan, so he won't be there next season. Uh, there's also uncertainty about the futures of uh, Casemiro, who's also on loan, and, and Brahimi, uh, a lot of rumours surrounding him. So, Vasco, do you think there's a danger that these players are already thinking about next season and also uh, well you just touched touched on it there actually in your previous answer in your previous answer but when I look at this Porto uh, well not only me I think a lot of analysts have pointed it out there really does seem to be to miss a leader a true leader you can say a Porto someone like George Costa Costinha Pedro Emmanuel uh, even Bahia someone like that Uh, what do you think uh, about those two points no, I think I think it's spot on. Absolutely, I, th- I, I mean, those are, are my feelings exactly. I think this this particular team was was specifically designed to keep Benfica from uh, winning back-to-back titles uh, with little regard for the long-term outlook. Um, on on the other hand, 
I think this is a combination of a of a disfiguring process uh, in which FC Porto are a little more than a launchpad for players, which allows for precious little time or willingness even to be the team's flag bearer, so to speak, like you had with George Costa or Don Pinto or Costinha. Um, when this business model started a few, I mean, several years ago, I remember having numerous discussions about it because I didn't think it was sustainable. Uh, I had no idea about, for instance, third-party ownership. And I still don't think it is. I mean, I believe it's detrimental to the club, any club for that matter, not just FC Porto, because it deprives the club of any sense of identity, uh, which is, after all, the main reason why anyone chooses Club A over Club B. And right now, I think both FC Porto and Benfica have Brazilians as their captains, for instance. And once they retire, it's hard to see which player will embody any of the club's uh, true spirits. It's, it's one might say, the evolution, the natural evolution of football as business rather than a sport, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Of course, like uh, you've been mentioning a, a few times on here on the podcast, also on Twitter and some of your articles, it's a, it's a bit of a crucial... Uh, you know, stage Portuguese football is at with the, it looks like the upcoming end of uh, third party ownership and that really could have a huge impact in Portugal. Uh, I actually thought maybe one way of getting around that was loan, was, you know, that like Porto have done very well, we've got some high quality players on loan this season. But uh, like you said, that's the, that kind of creates the same problem, doesn't it? Because they're only there for short, yeah. short term and uh, don't really have chance to really feel the, you know the the culture of the club. No, it's it's uh, on a different level, on a different scale. It's exactly what happened, what used to happen. Uh, for instance, at, at smaller clubs like, for instance, Pasfreira or Rio, which relied heavily on low knees from FC Porto and Benfica and Sporting, and they could uh, qualify for the UEFA Cup or something on, on one given year, and then the following season they would just crumble and get demoted or something like that. Yeah. And I think the same would happen to Porto and Benfica. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's something for us to discuss, no doubt, in the coming months and years, maybe. Okay, going back to this match, uh, Vasco, on an individual basis, I'd like to ask your opinion about two players, one on each side. Uh, first of all, it looks like Salvio will be missing for Benfica. Uh, he's still not training, according to the press. Uh, how big a loss is he? Uh, I went to Belenenses Benfica last week, and I have to say, his replacement, Ola John, a player I quite like, but uh, he was desperately disappointed that day. Uh, really, very, very poor. Uh, what impact do you think uh, Salvio, uh, if he doesn't play, uh, what impact do you think that might have on Benfica? Well, Salvio is, is definitely a, a special kind of player. Um, for most supporters, I mean, for most Benfica supporters, he's an idol, a bit like uh, Quaresma on FC Porto's side, and a bit like the Mustang. <laughs> he's also quite hard to stomach, I would say, from a purely coaching point of view, because for every great thing he does, and he does plenty of them, um, there's four, five, six other things he's done wrong previously, and I mean dead wrong. Uh, something that puts the team a bit further from scoring, uh, something that does not make it to the highlight reels. Uh, having said that, he's extremely important, uh, sometimes precisely because of that, because he rams on no matter what, because he has the greatest belief in his ability, because he tears defenders apart just by keeping 
going at him at them and because he has the technique to invent something out of thin air as for Olajon, uh for me the big the biggest disappointment is the very very nice head he has on those shoulders the fact that he's able to read the game so well to understand what the game needs but then the end product is so feeble so poor so so little i've been expecting him to burst onto the scene uh, any day but now it seems that they will never come, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's have a look if uh, George Jesus, I think he must be probably beginning to lose patience with him. Yeah. Uh, okay, and uh, as for Porto, uh, I was very disappointed with goalkeeper Fabiano's display in Munich. Uh, I thought he could have done better, far better really, with at least three of those goals. Uh, and whenever Helton has been called up this season... Uh, he's done a fine job of course he had that amazing display in the League Cup match against uh, Braga when Porto were down to nine men Braga threw absolutely everything at Porto and uh, Helton was just like a brick wall stopping everything uh, if you were Lopetegui again uh, do you think he should go with the experienced Helton for this game? Well I'm, I'm I'm not quite sure just what his physical condition is I mean if he's 100% fit, I think he should have, have taken over a long time ago. Um, his, his calmness and, and his leadership uh, are definitely needed. And even though he can sometimes make the odd blunder here and there, his reassuring presence at the back and, and much better footwork uh, usually calm the whole, the whole team down. Uh, but like I said, I'm not sure he's 100% fit. Uh, Fabiano Endure a less than brilliant night last Tuesday. But to be honest, he's been guilting of, guilty of many a uh, terrible approach throughout this past year, somehow getting away with it. I, I'm not sure why. Uh, I'm sure that any goalkeeping scout will have drawn uh, several red flags as far as his footwork is concerned, but also his position under the high ball, his reading of the game. Uh, the the first thing that comes to my mind is Porto Sporting at, uh, for the Portuguese Cup when he just uh, goes out of his goal with, without any need whatsoever and somehow it's not even mentioned in the press, for instance. And mm-hmm. After so many matches tending goal, it's hard to justify all those slip-ups and misreadings just with a simple need for more time. So I think Helton should reclaim his place. Yeah, okay. Finally, uh, let's have a word on the implications this match may have for each coach. Uh, so Vasco, should Benfica win and go on to win the Liga, uh, many say a big European giant uh, may finally take a risk and hire Jorge Jesus. Uh, of course, he would then have three Portuguese championships in uh, six seasons, which is uh, not a bad record. Uh, on the other hand, a trophy-less season could well cost uh, Lopetegui his job. Of course, we can't forget that Pinto da Costa said a few months ago that he considered this Porto squad uh, the strongest squad he's had in the last 30 years. So, you know, without winning anything, that will obviously be, uh, you know, uh, you'd expect Pinto da Costa to take his own uh, conclusions. Uh, on the other hand, if Porto come out on top, perhaps it will be Jorge Jesus who is looking for a new club. Uh, what are your thoughts, Vasco? <laughs> I think my opinion is on this subject is well known by now. I think most FC Porto supporters who appreciate my work often ask me to drop the JJ love <laughs> to make everything <laughs> all right. <laughs> 
So I think that even if they end up losing the title, I think Georges should remain in place because one just has to think about um, how hard it is to keep playing and scoring uh, like nothing happened when you lost players like Matic, Garay, Enzo Perez, Cardozo, Rodrigo, Rodrigo, I don't know, so many of them, just over the past season. So I don't think things should be analyzed merely on the back of who won and who lost, but that's just me. I mean, I think the most pressing questions would be like, was, was there improvement? What, what was the context? Did, did, did the coach get a, for instance, a raw deal in the transfer market? What were the realistic expectations? And on the other hand, I'm sure it's just me, but I don't see any of the big clubs swooping in for JJ, uh, particularly since his track record in the Champions League isn't all that brilliant. So I don't see that many profiles being written about him in foreign press, uh, like wondering who this odd-looking bloke is and marveling at the results <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't see any of his quotes making headlines abroad. And not unlike, for instance, Marcelo Bielsa, which is another crazy but brilliant coach. I don't see how he could do well in a non-Portuguese speaking country, to be honest. As as for Lopetegui, well, it just I think it just goes to show how, fic- how fickle coaching life is, right? I mean, I mean, a week ago, he was uh, on the top of the world. He was the man. He had done wonders at the club. Uh, there was even talk of a Real Madrid move. And now he may be two days away from being unemployed, which is okay. So I apply the same principles when questioning his job. I mean, did the team evolve? What was the context when he was brought in? What were the realistic expectations? I mean, will he be able to push the team to the next level? In my opinion, I think it's done rather well. Maybe not spectacularly, but I think well enough to stop this absurd cycling cycle of, of not giving any coach any sort of continuity. Okay, so whatever happens, it's going to, uh, there's no doubt about it, this match on Sunday is going to be, uh, it's going to have a very big impact, not only on this uh, Portuguese championship, possibly on the futures of the coaches as well. That's uh, certainly we'll get the, the press speaking without a doubt and writing furiously. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be a, a great occasion. Uh, unfortunately, time has beaten us again. Thanks, Vasco for sharing your expertise with us once again. Always my pleasure, Tom. (laughs) Okay, and thank you listeners for tuning in. Uh, We'll have a preview article on the site. That's uh, Portugal, which is www.portugal.net, P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L.net, a bit later today, as well as (coughs) full coverage of this game on Sunday. Uh, where I'll be tweeting live from the Stadio de Luz press box. You can check that out at the Portugal One Twitter account. Uh, while we're talking about Twitter, also don't forget to follow Combination Play, which is Vasco's Twitter account. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back soon. Just now!